Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Anna. Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. We are continuing our mini Mighty Littles series this month with an interview today with Marquita. She delivered her son Kaz at 22 weeks and one day. He weighed just under one pound at birth, so he came in at 440 grams. And we are going to talk through his NICU stay and the joys and challenges that have come about in their lives since his delivery. He spent eight months in the newborn ICU and is now almost three years old and thriving at home with his mom. And I will talk to you again next week. Mighty Littles listeners, this is Anna Zimmerman, and I'm really thrilled today to be talking with Marquita. She is a preemie mom, and her son Kaz was born at 22 weeks, and uh, not only is she going to tell us a little bit about her son's NICU stay, but she's also going to talk a little bit about the organization that she started, Kaz Cares, so we'll get into that. Uh, Marquita, why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Hello, everyone. Of course, I'm Marquita, founder of Cash Cares, an organization I started honoring my 22-weeker. And I'm a mom of four, full-time job, and also a student. So Cass is my fourth child being born at 22 weeks. So this NICU journey was new for me and very scary. So this is this is very, very exciting, and I'm just glad to just be here, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, absolutely. How old is Kaz now, just so listeners know kind of how far out you are from your NICU journey? Yes, yeah, so Kaz now is two and a half. He will be three August 22nd, so 31 months, if I'm not mistaken. He's 31 months yeah. old. Awesome. So why don't we just start off by having you kind of summarize. I know with 22 weekers, it's kind of hard to just summarize a NICU stay because there's a lot, a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ups and downs and complications that can arise. Um, But why don't we just kind of have you jump in and tell your story of delivering preterm and what it was like in the NICU and kind of the different complications that you encountered while you were in the NICU. Sure. So Cass was due Christmas Day. I never had any complications with any of my other kids. So this was very new for me. I went in a week before Cass was born to have a check, you know, a regular checkup to check on a baby. Everything went fine as far as doctor visit, baby is healthy, blood is circulating. Everything was perfect at my last doctor's visit. I didn't know it was going to be my last visit, but everything went great. No complications, no anything. A week after, I just woke up one morning and was having contractions. And I'm like, well, I think they're contractions, but I really wasn't sure. Long story short, end up going to work and I ruptured at work. So I had to get rushed to the hospital. Ended up going to Piedmont Fayetteville, which is in Fayetteville, Georgia. Um, that's where most of my doctors were at the time. So I just went to where I knew. And I went in and they were just like, okay, this baby is coming and there's nothing we can do. So I was pretty much forced to deliver. Very scary times. I did not know what to think. I, I just... I was just forced to deliver. So 
We ended up delivering August 22nd, 2017 at Piedmont Fayetteville. And Cash, he just came. Um, I had a team of doctors. It, it was about five or six doctors in the room. And it went so fast. And it's so overwhelming because if you're new to this, you the terminology, everything is just new to me. So I, I just, I was out of it. I didn't know what to think at first. So Cass was born and we just went from there. We stayed at Piedmont Fayette for about two and a half months, maybe right at three before we had to be airlifted to Children's Care Care of Atlanta, the Elgiston location, because Cass was really ill, of course, being born at 22 weeks. You know, they can't breathe on their own. He was so small. He was born at 440 grams. So that's not even a pound. So with him being so small and so many diagnoses and them not knowing if he's going to live the next day, it was so many, so much just up and down all over the place. So we ended up being airlifted at Children's Health Care of Atlanta. I want to say we got there mid-October-ish, going into November. And that's where our journey started as far as the surgeries, getting him stable, starting therapy. Oxygen, everything is just—it it just started flowing then, and um, from there we just—we just went on. We stayed there for eight months, wow. so we had a long stay. Yes, we had a very long stay, many ups and downs, surgeries, uh, just everything. The therapies—it it was just—it was a lot. <laughs> so, during the. Um... During your, when you combine both of your NICU stays, both yes. of your first hospital and your second, mm-hmm. how many days was Kaz in the NICU total? I want to say roughly 198, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so almost I want 200. I to say we did under 200, or right at 200, yes. And right so at 200. when... When you were in preterm labor and you went into the yeah. hospital and you knew you were going to be delivering, what conversations did you have with your OB and your neonatologists about okay. the fact that you were 22 weeks, right? Because people yes. have a lot of opinions about 22-week babies. Yes, and this, this, this podcast is not going to get into um, – yeah, we're not, I'm not getting into, you know – Right. The, the question. The politics it, of that. Lot, yeah. The yeah. policy. Yes. Yeah. It's a, see, a lot of hospitals, I've heard from my experience, they won't save a 22-weeker. They will start at 23, maybe. When I first got to Piedmont Fayette, Cass was pretty much already, I mean, I've ruptured. At this point, I was pretty much pushing, but not trying to push. I was at a state to where I had no choice. So my OB at the time wasn't even on duty. She actually had to get called to deliver another baby at the time because once again, I was almost, what, four and a half months early. I I wasn't nowhere near. It wasn't time for me to even deliver. So as I got to the ER and they set me up and they put the monitors on me and everything to monitor CAS, it was just like, okay, you have to, to you have to deliver this baby now. We have to bring in the doctors. This is this is the chances that you will face as far as we will try our best to do everything to save him. Meaning we will get him stable. 
and we will go from there. We can't tell you if he's going to survive once we get him stable or if he'll be able to breathe, pick up with, you know, them intubating him and everything. So it was just really taking a chance with Cass because they didn't even know what to expect at 22 weeks and one day. I was right at 22 weeks and one day. So it's just like, okay, we can't tell you anything. We just have to deliver this baby and go from there. So, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, it was so many questions for me because I'm just like, 22 weeks? Like, I don't know what to expect. Is he even develop all the way? Do we have his organs? Like, I, I never even experienced this. So this was very new for me. So... And I think, that's, I think that's really common for parents when they come in yes. preterm labor. Most people haven't seen I've a never seen 22, this 23, 24-week baby. Yes. With, yeah, I mean, they're tiny. They fit in the palm of your hand. So tiny. Has, matter of fact, he was as small as my hand. And, I'm you know, I have really small hands. But he was really, really small. It's funny because I wanted to know how much he weighed when he first came out. And they couldn't even give me a accurate weight. I had to wait at least two or three days just to even get the 440 grams. Yeah. Because it was just so much. We were just so up in the air about, you know, like his weight. It, they couldn't. It was just nothing we could do but take it one day at a time. Right, right. Was there ever any discussion of not doing anything? Yes, I've had, I had, uh, right after I delivered Cass, I had a doctor come into the room and ask me, you know, well, these are your chances of if he do survive, you know, you know, you'll be going through a lot as far as developmental delays and what he could possibly grow up to, you know, have and the transition will be, you know, just a lot. And, and honestly it is, but I never questioned the fact that, okay, I just wanted to see for myself. Like, okay. I'm like, I, I, I don't want to say, cause they gave me the option to go with it or not. Right. So, you know, I, I kind of sat back. I didn't have a loan. <laughs> Trust me. They were like, time was ticking. Like, either you're going to go with it or you're not. Right. They don't give you much time to debate about it. So I just said, let's go with the flow. Let's just see and take it one day at a time and see if he will fight. And he fought every single day. And that made me not want to give up on him. So I'm just like, you know what? If he's not going to give up then I know I can't give up because every day he is proving to us that he's going to make it. Right. And we just, we just went from there. Yeah. And throughout the process, um, he had his bad days to where they call it misbehaving. So, you know, Cass is misbehaving today. He, you know, don't want to eat or, well, he can't tolerate eating. Cass had to start off, of course, with uh, breast milk. As a mom, you know, being with a 22-weeker, having a baby being born so early, it's kind of hard to produce, especially when, you know, you're going through so much and the baby's in an NICU. And so it was hard for me to produce milk. So Cass had to do a lot of donor milk, which was fine. But Cass rejects a lot of milk, uh, misbehaving as far as couldn't tolerate the feedings, maybe breathing up and down all over the place. So I've had 
days where doctors was just like, do you want to just let this go or do you want to continue? And each day, you know, you only get about a couple an hour or so to even debate about if you want to let it go. But then again, you go into the room to see your baby fighting. You just like, okay, you just told me an hour ago he was misbehaving, but now something told like it changed drastically every day for Cass. So one day you'll tell me something and then it's like, well, do you want to let this go or do you want to keep fighting? And then when I go see Cass or when I wait a couple hours, he's doing much better. So it's just like, I can't let this go. This baby is proving every day that he is supposed to be here. So this journey was up and down, up and down, an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I call it I call it either an emotional roller coaster or turbulence, right? Yes, because you, you you're kind of smooth sailing, right? And you're oh, wow. on that airplane, and you're just smooth sailing, and then all of a sudden you, you hit this pocket, <laughs> and you feel like the world is coming out from underneath oh, you. Oh my god, it was oof, yeah. every day, and I'm just for, like you don't know what to expect because you really you're taking it day by day. You don't know if tomorrow it may be the day is 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 you have the experiences to know it's hard to explain it's just it's a it's an emotional roller coaster yeah well and i always tell parents you know at the beginning we're taking it minute by minute and then it's hour by hour and then it's day by day and sometimes in the day by day we go back this to the minute by minute day. yes yes and so yes. it's not linear it's not oh, hey, we made nope. it through this day. Therefore, now we can take it day by day. Within that one day, something can happen drastically. I've had to where Cass will stop breathing for five, six minutes and then come back just fine. So my days in the NICU was like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen within the next two hours. Like, oh, let's just, we, we just got to pray and just keep going. In. And that's really what we did. This was new for me. I did not know anything going yeah. into the queue as far as just a nurse not knowing, okay, you're going to see a nurse, you're going to see a doctor, you're going to see a therapist, you're going to see five or six different doctors a day. So this was very new for me. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, it's a lot. Just learning it was a lot. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we kind of go head to toe with Cass okay. and talk okay. about kind of the common things that we know can happen with preemies and you tell us okay. a little bit about kind of where he fell out on those areas would that be okay, okay? yes that's fine okay okay so Cass been born so early of course he was diagnosed with a chronic lung disease so could can't breathe on his own chronic lung disease hydrocephalus uh many ups and downs ups and downs as far as bowel movements as far as rop he had jaundice really bad, so he had to stay under the LED light for maybe three, four months. Just different things he was overcoming. Of course, no bottle feeding. Cass is a G2 baby, but he started off having an NG tube. So NG tube um, pretty much was the tube that goes through the nose, behind the back of the throat, into the stomach. So that's how we started off. Um, of course, nothing but breast milk or donor milk. And just all of the, as far as he, he had really bad eczema, like the skin, his skin was really horrible. As far as not being all the way, of course, he wasn't 22 weeks. You know, you still have to develop. A mom full term is 40 weeks, I want to say. Mm -hmm. 
So um, just him just needing to pretty much grow and develop. He didn't even have as men, you know, they have, you can see the little pecs on their chest. Like Cass was pretty much, I don't want to say an alien baby because I don't, you know, <laughs> want to consider him looking like an alien, but he pretty much. Okay, how about I tell you how I describe him? Okay, so really, really premature babies, I think, look like birds because they don't have they don't have their bird you know like baby birds don't really have their feathers in you can see all of their ribs you can yep you can they're kind of see-through and translucent skin um and then in terms of how their face looks I know people give me a hard time about this but I think premature babies look a little bit like old men because old men tend to lose the fat in their face and they're bald and preemie babies are are bald most of them have no hair they have some of that really fine hair all over their body but no yeah but not like a head of hair um and so they have this really fine hair and no fat anywhere on them no substance to them they're just limbs and ribs and you can see the all the definition in their face from like their cheekbones and all that kind of stuff so to me they look a little bit like baby birds and old men that's true and that's exactly how you can describe it it was like i said something new for me and i I just it was very new and it was like i said this is an experience you have to experience to just see for yourself i never even imagined even having a 22 weeker, let alone, you know, a preemie baby. So how did you kind of handle that turbulence in the NICU? Right. So as things were going, you know, day by day or hour by hour, and you're having these really hard conversations with the physician where you're trying to make decisions for your baby, how did you handle that turbulence? Like what what was going through your mind? What helped you? What was really hard or actually detrimental through those conversations? What would you say? Honestly, I want to say having my older kid, because Cass is kind of like an Irish twin. So before I had Cass, I have a three-year-old named KJ. They are roughly nine months apart. So they are very close. So I had just previously had a baby before Cass. So having my older three kids kept me going because I'm like, okay, I have to keep going for them in order to be strong for Cass. So I just had a baby. And of course I have Cass in the NICU. That was really hard because a lot of NICUs now don't allow kids under 12 to even come and visit. When I was first at Piedmont Fayette, they allowed one or two guests to come in with me. And I want to say they allowed my older two, which at the time was under 12, to visit, but only for a short period of time. So that kept me motivated, kept me going. Family, of course. I have a huge family, very great support system. So they would visit, call, check on me. And just, uh, Cass was more during the time to where flu, flu season was starting. So a lot of NICUs, when you're in that flu season, 
months within those months it's hard to even have it's hard for them to even let other people come in and out because of other babies and you know it's just a lot and you want to keep everybody safe so that family and my other kids definitely kept me going on my hard days me visiting cash just to see the progression helped me because i'm like okay if he's still progressing then i can't really be sad or mad because it's like he's fighting so that really made me really 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 happy um just just keep i just kept pushing i mean praying pushing family re i read a lot too that that kept my mind from thinking about a lot you know you read a lot then i had great nurses they would feed me we would talk for hours so the nurses were very, very, very welcoming. They were very nice, uh, just teaching me a lot. They're kind of like know, a combination just... between your best teacher, yes, your best friend, and yes. your therapist. Yeah. Oh, my God. I needed a lot of like, oh, I had my days. They were just like, your baby is doing really, really good to be a 22-weeker. So that helped me, too, because I would be sad. And I was like, you're sad, but this baby is fighting so the encouraging words, everything, it was just, it was, it was great. I had a great experience with nurses and a great experience with families. So that really pushed me to keep going. So I want to go back a little bit about what you said about the visitation. So most of the NICUs that I have worked in and that my friends work in, in the summertime, more people are allowed to come in. And in the wintertime, we really do close it down. Yeah, so it's very, very strict during cold and flu season. And now with coronavirus and COVID, it's it's become really, I think, quite difficult for families in the NICU because it's only parents that are allowed. And you can't even bring children into the hospital. So whereas in cold and flu season, you used to be able to come and your kids could stay in the waiting room with a family member and then the mom could come in and then you'd switch and the dad would come in. You can't even do that anymore. So just know from a provider standpoint, right? Like I'm a physician. I see parents struggling with how to come in and see their baby. And we want you there whenever and however you can be there. But we are not judging when your life goes on outside the NICU because there's it is so hard to get into the NICU right now. Very. And I... I Honestly, I couldn't imagine because when we were at Piedmont Fayette, um, Cass was born in August, so that was kind of going into the flu season. Before it got so strict, like I said, they would allow one or two people to come in. My older two kids could visit certain times of the day, but when we transitioned over to Children's Health Care of Atlanta, the Evanston location, it got even stricter i mean like it's like okay no kids under 12 whatsoever so it's just like okay well my kids can't even visit and me and dad was back and forth but they still will only allow one visitor with you it was very strict especially during cold and flu season as it got better as going into like the spring as far as march april it did get a little better but i mean they are really strict on Washing your hands, not coming sick, bringing one person with you, just trying to protect 
the nurses and the babies, which I can honestly understand because someone comes in the NICU and brings something in and a nurse catches it and she's taking care of your baby. It can be deadly for a lot of babies, especially if they're really, really, really sick. So I can definitely understand why they had certain rules. Yeah. So when you guys transferred from your first hospital to the second uh-huh. hospital, was he still intubated and on a ventilator? Yes. So- Cass was still intubated. He had to stay on a ventilator quite some time because he would have his days to where, I don't want to say he wanted to give up, but he would have his days to where, I don't know, I guess you could feel tired. You know, you go through so much as a 22-weeker. Um, Cass had multiple surgeries, um, in and out of two different hospitals. And, you know, babies that small, they don't know what's going on. They just, you know, he's just fighting. So, yeah, it was, whew, so it how was a long, lot. How long until, when did he finally get that breathing tube out? So, he got his breathing tube out, I want to say, the beginning of, January, February, he was able to go on CPAP. Okay. And then when he came home, was he on oxygen? Yes. Right now, Cass is still on oxygen. When he first came home, he was on a half a liter. Right now, he's on a fourth, a quarter of a liter. He's doing really well. We had a sleep study maybe three months ago. He does really good during the day, being monitored. And um, even sometimes at night, it's just when he veer off and goes into a deep sleep, they say he can't catch himself. Right. So pretty much he needs his oxygen. He needs his ox- oxygen at night as far as veering off. They- that's what they call it. He'll kind of veer off as he sleeps at night. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's actually mm-hmm. really common for our babies with chronic lung disease when they go home, that as they are growing new lung tissue... Um, that they can come off of their oxygen when they're awake and then they can come off of their oxygen during their daytime naps. And then the thing that kind of lingers the longest is that nighttime oxygen because when they go into a deep sleep, they do, they kind of veer off with their oxygen sats and it just kind Mm -hmm. of, and it drops a little bit. Yep. Yep. So he veers off when he get into a deep sleep. I want to say when he's dreaming, he kind of veer veers off a little. So he's still on, as of today, which isn't bad because during the daytime, he's really, really, really good without it. You know, he wants to play with the other kids and he see my older kids running around and he see that. So that makes him want to get up and go and he takes it off. I'm putting on him a thousand times a day because Cass is at a point to where he's kind of rejecting everything as far as he takes it off every five minutes. He's even playing with the G tube, trying to suck the milk out the tube, the extender of the tube. So he's very, very active and just like, I don't need this stuff anymore. So a lot of people are worried about coming home on oxygen. You have now had almost three years of home oxygen. Yes. How did you feel about the oxygen when you were first leaving? And how do you feel about it now? Honestly, when we first left the hospital, I was scared. I didn't want to do it. I thought I would do something wrong. You know how you have this behind your head? Okay. Because before your baby is being released from the hospital, you have to take certain classes in order for your baby to come home. So, of course, we had to take a car seat class. Well, he had to do a car seat test. I had to take a car seat class 
I had to learn how to do the actual oxygen tanks, cut them on, change them out. So it's a lot that they teach you and you learn before your baby comes home. You can learn and have someone teach you that every day in the NICU. But the thought of having it in the back of your head, like, I have to go home and do this by myself, and I don't, I won't have a nurse with me, to me, that was very scary. I'm like, okay, I know I can, if something happened, God forbid, I can call 911. But I'm like, I don't want to have to do that. Like, I, I don't have a living nurse. It was very, very, very scary. But I had to buckle down and, like, okay, you have to do this because I really want my baby at home. We've been in the NICU almost eight months. It's draining. I'm tired. I have three other kids. I'm trying to work in between jobs, uh, keep my bills paid, in and out the house. Uh, my kids have extracurriculum activities. So it's a lot when you have an actual household you're trying to run. So I just really had to buckle down. I didn't want to do it. I had to make myself do it, honestly. And once he came home and I did it a couple days, I kind of got over my fears. We have a home system that's really easy to work. But when we go out, of course, you have to take the tanks with you. Just make sure you have all your equipment. So it's a lot when you're carrying the equipment and your child in and out the home every day. But staying home and you really don't have anywhere to go that day and having a home system was actually perfect for me. And just me learning every day and making myself do it and just, you know, kind of just breathing I had to tell myself to calm down. I was over the top with <laughs> I was over the top with everything only because of my nerves. And I think I was just so afraid because when you're in the NICU, you're so used to having a nurse like right there. You can hit a button and she's like right at the door. So for me, that was like gold. I'm like, yes, because I don't know. I don't want to mess anything up. But me being in the NICU and the different nurses teaching me every day, you can't be afraid to do this. Because if something goes wrong, you need to know if something do go wrong, what to do. So I had to kind of just get over my fears and just go with the flow. Right now, it's really easy for me being that Cass has been on oxygen at home for so long now. Honestly, my nine-year-old daughter knows how to do it better than me. I've taught them how to feed Cass, do his oxygen. If anything happens to me, God forbid, you know, they know how to do certain small things in the house, you know, that way they'll know if something is wrong. They don't always have to call me. They know how to fix things. So right now it's, it's very easy. Yeah. Very smooth. Yeah. So let's talk, you mentioned the G tube and how your nine year old knows how to do the G tube. I also have a lot of parents (laughs) who are very, very scared of a G tube. What were your thoughts when it was first brought up and the doctors said, Hey, we think Kaz needs a G tube. Okay, so with us starting off with the NG tube, perfect. As Cass got older, he started pulling it out. And if you have a preemie or a baby that has an NG tube, you know how putting that in can be very, 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 very hard. Me trying to put an NG tube in Cass, rejecting it, don't want it, fighting me was a lot. When... The doctor first told me about the G-tube. I'm like, no way. I'm not. My kid is not having surgery. We are not having a button put in his stomach. No way. I would rather put that thing down his nose, you know, into the stomach, and we go from there. 
that got harder. The NG two got harder and harder and harder. Her cast just started to reject it. Sometimes he will, when I tried to put it down, it will come back out through the mouth, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm sick of this. G tube it is. So when I actually went and I did a G tube class, and it taught me so much about how to place the G tube, the surgery, the cleaning. And as I started practicing, because they would have like little mannequin babies you could somewhat practice on, I was just so excited about it. I'm like, okay, G2, 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 can we do this tomorrow? It actually worked out perfect. I say if your child needs a G2, go for it. It will help your child feed so much better. Cass, he gained weight a little more and he has a urge to want to eat a lot more now too with the G2. When he see us eating, I would stop his food and he would just look at us like our mouths are moving so he he want to mimic what we're doing. So it actually is the best thing that ever happened to my family. It's a lot because of course you have to change it out. You have to make sure it's clean. Um, Cash, he is at the age now to where he pulls the extender part so I have to take it out when he's done feeding. I have to go ahead and take it off, close the button back up because if not, he's just like playing with it. Milk is dripping all over the place. I'm like, Cass, we have changed your clothes three times today. That's it. enough is enough. So I encourage all parents, um, if they can, to go the G2 route. They will appreciate it a lot more. Other than oxygen and G-tube, when you guys were going home, you know, you've been in the NICU for eight months. You've had nurses right there with you the whole time. You're nervous about the oxygen, you're nervous about the G-tube, but you get to take your micro preemie home. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that first week at home. Whew, okay. How'd it go? That first week at home, I didn't get any sleep. I stayed uh, morning, noon, night. I want to say I probably got four hours. I was so nervous only because, once again, the nurses aren't there. I did, Cass did come home with a uh, monitor. So he came home on medication. He had a monitor. We had equipment and everything, but just my nerves was just all over the place. I was afraid, even though I did spend a night with him some days at the NICU. But it's not the same when you're taking your kid home and you're by yourself. So my first week was, whew, I had bags under my eyes. I'm telling my other kids, like, listen, mommy haven't had any sleep. It was a lot of work because you have to get, this is the new norm when you have a preemie baby, let alone a a child that's developmental delayed. You have to make sure their feeding schedule is together. Medication. Cass came home on certain diuretics. So he had medication once again, he have a chronic lung disease, so he came home on inhalers. He had a nebulizer. So you you want to make sure you keep that same somewhat schedule as far as the schedule that they had in the hospital is hard because, of course, nurses are switching shifts. So it's just mom on one shift or, you know, you have help, but it's nothing like you actually doing it the correct way or you trying to teach someone Cause you know, you really don't want anything to go wrong. So it's just like, I got it. I got it. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I stayed up like clockwork, just making sure everything was the right way. And with me having other kids, as far as me needing to help them out, feed them, nourish them. 
was was it was a lot. It was a lot. But as the days and the months went by, it became easier and easier. And then when you teach your older kids that's able to help out, take the trash, get the medication for me, you know, things, small things of that nature, it is is really helpful. It was really helpful. So you mentioned that you had help. Who yes. who was there to help? So, of course, dad was here to help. Dad was, because me and dad both took the classes in order for Cass to come home. So he had to learn the same things I had to learn as far as YouTube dressings, oxygen, equipment companies, medication, where to pick medication up. So we both learned everything together. So we would kind of rotate because we both was working full-time jobs at the time. So it was really hard. Um, he would work, his job required him to work 10 to 12 hours. So we would see each other passing like mm-hmm. day and night. So I would leave a lot of sticky notes around the house. Like this is what, what need to be done next. And so we just kind of rotated and helped each other balance that kind of like the shift in the NICU as far as the day shift and the night shift. We would balance that out. My older kids, they were scared. But once you show them to kind of not fear, you know, everything will be okay. This is what mommy needs you to do every day. Or if you could just get the medicine, the inhaler ready, you know, something really easy for them because they really like to help out. They want to help their big brother or big, I mean, their little brother or little sister. They want to help. So I will allow them to do certain things and they will love it. So with the kids being in, at home, me and dad rotating, I have a huge family. I have five sisters. So all of my sisters were very supportive. My sisters would come over. They would help out if I needed them to pick up medication or anything of that nature for the other kids. I mean, my family was there. My mom, my grandmother, my dad. When you have a huge family and that type of support, then it's like, okay, you can somewhat get things done. You can teach them how to do certain things and it'll kind of allow me as the months went by to sleep a little longer. So with you working full-time and dad working full-time and your three older kids, and now you've got your slightly older baby, but still baby, and you've got, but still baby, and you've got Kaz on oxygen and with the G-tube, you can't go to daycare exactly. No. So how did how are you guys managing that? Because now you're two and a half years in. So are you still on opposite shifts? Is it still primarily mom and dad? Or do you have a lot of family coming in to help while you guys are going to work? Yep. So with that, I have family in and out helping the older kids. Well, with COVID, they're out of school. But before COVID-19, my kids were home. As far as they would in the afternoon pick up certain things to help me out. Right now we have a um, in-home daycare lady that we trust a lot. She only have about three or four kids, honestly. So if I need to run an errand and dad is home and I absolutely have no one to, you know, care for the little ones, I would take them to her. She's very, 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 very good with um, developmental delay kids. And um, KJ, which is my three-year-old that's close to Cass, he's very vocal and he loves to help also. And then I have my mom. She's in and out helping us a lot. Dad had to move about 
a year or two ago just for job-wise, but he would come back and forth, like weekends and holidays. So when he would be off and come back and forth now, it you know, it kind of balanced the schedule out because the days that I've worked, he's off, so he's able to take over. Or if I'm off and he's off, we, we're together. So our schedule, it, it balanced. It's up and down, but we work it out, especially with having family. Then I have a sister. She's really close to me, maybe five minutes from my house. So she's able to drop in and out and get the kids also. So you've, you've mentioned a couple times that Kaz has some developmental delays. Uh, why don't we talk about that a little bit in terms of what do you mean by that? Because I think that that term can encompass a lot of different things. And let's talk a little bit about the therapies that you're trying to manage at home. I know COVID puts some difficulty on that. Yeah, virtual with COVID. But but pre-COVID in the those first two years, let's let's talk a little bit about what you mean by that developmental delay, what he's doing now, and what therapies okay. you've kind of gotten used to having. Perfect. So developmental delays for Cass. Right now he isn't walking. He's somewhat crawling, but he does like a scoop. You know, if you're like kind of trying to crawl, get on all fours, but you're scooting. So that's his best friend. I'm like, Cass, okay, you have to get on all fours in order to really get somewhere and start moving. Cass also have mild CP. So it's kind of hard for him. He's kind of weak some days. He's very fragile still. So it's kind of hard for him to stand for long periods of time. So with him, he's delayed at walking. He isn't fully speaking right now, but he does say one word, words as far as hello, mom, dad, eat, eat, things of that nature. So right now he's getting occupational therapy, physical therapy, feeding and speech therapy. So he's getting his all three therapies, which is allowing him to interact as far as walking, you know, practicing how to walk, get on all fours, sitting up. With him having mild CP, it's hard for him to sit up for long periods of time. So he is just going through the process of learning how to manage as far as moving around and communicating. He see us walking around, talking, you know, doing the normal things with our hands and we're eating. And so that's kind of helping him want to push and want to be able to eat. And he's like, when I'm repeating, go sit down to the other kids. He's like, sit down. And I'm like, Cass, really? So he is mimicking a lot of things he hear us do. And he's like, okay, I want to stand up. We have like a chair for him that he he has medical equipment. So he's sitting in his chair and then he's looking like, okay, they're running, they're talking, they're sitting. And he's like, ugh, ugh, all over the place, want us to get him out. So he's very, very, very active for 22 weeks right now. It's like he's all over the place. When you let him out of that chair, He's scooting all the way down the hallway. And I'm like, oh, my God, he made it all the way down. So he is doing really, really, really good as far as progressing. Because, like I said, he we spent so much time in the NICU. And when you're in the NICU and you have all the, you know, the wiring, you really can't do a lot. So he was confined for so long. And with his diagnosis and having mild CP, 
it was kind of hard. It still is kind of hard for him to sit up and do certain things that um, normal a normal baby would do around his age. One of the things that gets brought up sometimes um, when we're talking about kids and babies being born right there at that limit of viability, which is right where he was, right? So, you know, 22 weeks, there's lots of questions around it. 23 weeks, you know, there's more and more and more resuscitations happening with some good and some really not good outcomes. And by 24 weeks, a lot of people are getting uncomfortable not resuscitating. Like if a family comes in and does not want to resuscitate, more and more people yep, are getting uncomfortable with that decision because the outcomes can be so good. They're not always, but they can be so good. So when you look back on your NICU journey and you look at where Kaz is now and what he has brought to your family, I guess I have two questions. Mm -hmm. One, would you have made a different decision? Sometimes you have parents say, if I knew what I knew now, I would not have I wouldn't have went chosen with this. Okay, so yep. would you have made a different decision? And I will caveat that by saying no judgment. It doesn't right doesn't, right. I understand. Just just question. And right. two, um, can you talk about the the good things that Kaz has brought to your family and to your life, despite or because of this really long NICU stay? Honestly, I wouldn't change anything besides the journey. The journey for me was really, really, really hard. Uh, hard to process. Hard to even imagine a baby going through what they've been through at 22 weeks, let alone I don't think I could have survived, honestly, as an adult going through what he has been through. So I wouldn't change the fact that he's here because he is such a bright kid. I'm just like very smart for 22 weeks. You're repeating everything I'm saying, just not sentence-wise, but you're repeating, you're mimicking everything I'm saying. You're honestly doing better than I expected for a 22-weeker because when he was born and us going through our transition from one hospital to another, I was hearing all type of frightful things like, oh my God, he will be a vegetable. He may not ever be able to eat by mouth and he may not ever be able to walk in. Are you sure you want to continue with this? And he's going to have this. And you may forever have a handicapped child and special needs this and special needs that. And I'm like, honestly, you really can't say it until the child. You have to let these babies grow on their own and do what they're going to do. A lot of doctors told me, Cass will be this. He may not ever talk. And I'm like, my baby is 22 weeks. He's shy of three years old and he is talking like I'm like, no, I, I mean, you just have to experience this for yourself. Like I said, every kid is different. I understand we do have 22 weeks that can't talk, can't walk. But, you know, every you have to your kid have to experience. You have to experience this with your kid and know that if my kid can do it, maybe your first can too. You have to fight with your baby. You have to know your rights. You have to stand up for what you feel and how you feel because it was times to where I felt like the doctor was wrong. I mean, yeah, you have more education than me. I understand you are doing your job. I can't question what you're telling me because you're the expert. But at the end of the day, I trust God 
And I felt like, you know what, we're going to take it one day at a time. We will get to that point when we get there. If you feel like he's going to be a vegetable by the age of five, you know, then we'll see. He's three now and doing perfectly fine. So I would not change the fact that he is here. The journey was very hard. You know, some people can't take going through things of that nature as far as the late night, the medical, uh, the team call. You don't know. You might get a call four o'clock in the morning. It could be a good call. It could be a bad call. So a lot of people that can be very overwhelming for a lot of families and it can cause a lot of tension. But, you know, you just have to push. You have to fight for your baby. Um, I always say a mom know their baby better than a doctor because, you know, you have that bond. And honestly, I feel like when you have that bond with your child, you know when something is wrong or you feel like, okay, something isn't right. Something they gave him, you know, he's reacting a certain way. You have that right to speak up and you have that right to know what is what. So I just feel like at the end of the day, having cast was really a blessing. It has taught me so much even throughout life and just caring for somebody to that extent. Because when you have other kids, of course, you nurture and care for them. But having a preemie or special needs kids, that care is different. That's the type of care you really have to experience to know how to feel because you don't know until you actually go through that. Yeah. I I think your point about um, parents know their baby best. I cannot drive that point home enough. When I am rounding in the hospital, I, so ask any parent that knows me, um, I am really, really attached to the babies that I'm caring for, right? These are not my kids, but they are my babies. And and I really want to do right by them. At the same time, I am caring for a lot of babies. And so I'm there on rounds. I'm there if there's a problem. The more you see me, the worse things are going. So it's better if you see me less and less. Um, and, And I think only parents who have been in that critical state realize that the less you see the doctor the better your life is going the better uh-huh. um, <laughs> I agree. yeah i mean it's it's true like it's it's, it's true yeah it's w- weird but it's true it's true when Honestly, the doctor like, is you know i've seen my doctor once a week and everything is going perfectly fine yes. versus okay i've seen you three days today something is wrong <laughs> exactly the, the more i'm hovering yeah. over your baby the less well our day is going the baby yeah. and mine um but so so i really really care about these babies but i am in and out of that room not 24 7 right and i Parents are there more. They know their babies. And I think you cannot underestimate the power and value that finding a good relationship between the parents and the nurses and the parents and the physicians, that relationship means so much because there's parent worry, right? And parent worry is based on what they're seeing their baby do. And then there's physician worry. And physician worry is based on years of experience taking care of really sick babies. Mm -hmm. And sometimes parent and doctor worry align. And sometimes parent and doctor worry don't. Um, And it's in those situations where it doesn't that we really need to have good communication. 
I yeah. need for parents to trust me that I genuinely have the best interest for your baby in my yeah. heart. And I am coming at this from a scientific standpoint. These are the things I can do. These are the things I can't. I hear your concerns and this is what I want to do about it. Yeah. And parents need to feel empowered to come to the doctor and say, I really think something is wrong. I really, yeah, I really, I liked it better when he was on that other, whatever. Uh, right. Yep. You have to speak up no I, matter what it is. Yeah. Whether versus his medication, the feeding schedule, because at the end of the day, your kid has to eventually come home and you will have to adjust to your kid. So if you feel like that schedule won't work or that medication is making him swell again or like you said whatever it is you have to speak up and know what's best for the baby at the end of the day and sometimes the doctor is going to say you know i really don't want to do that because but then you hear the explanation for why we're doing what we're doing so that you are more educated and more aware of what's happening with your baby and other times we're going to say oh you know, I actually think that's a great idea. I wasn't planning on doing that just yet, but I have no issue doing it right now. Let's see and try. Or you're right. I hadn't noticed that whatever bump on the back of his ear. Uh, sometimes babies have bumps and I don't know what they are and we're just going to go with right. it. Right. So, go. Yeah. yeah. So I think you cannot underestimate the power of that relationship between the parents, the nurses and the physicians and the communication that needs to happen. Yeah. With you have to communicate and have some type of relationship. I mean, you. I hear a lot of stories to where the mom don't like the nurse or maybe the nurse had a bad day and mom felt that energy or maybe the nurse felt mom was disrespectful. If they're caring for your baby, of course, just try to establish some type of relationship to where you guys can come to some type of agreement to where, you know, this is how I feel, this is how you feel, but let's respect each other and take care of the baby the best way we can. So let's move over to Kaz Cares and talk about this nonprofit that you started or the organization that you started. And I just, the platform is yours. I just want yes. you to tell me all about it. Okay, so I started Kaz Cares honoring my 22-weeker Kaz. Cass is so caring. So I'm just like, you know what? Cass cares. He is such a sweet baby. Um, I tell people all the time, I don't know what it is about these preemies, but he is so loving. I love all of my kids the same. Cass is just a special type of love. I mean, he, you can have a bad day, anybody, and you see Cass, and it, I, I promise you, it just changes for everybody that's around him. So I'm just like, you know what? Cass cares. That's my organization. I'm going to honor my 22-weeker. I'm going to show the world that a 22-weeker can survive, can thrive. You're going to face many obstacles, but you have to stay strong for your baby. You have to show the world that this is possible. 22-weekers have a under 10% survival rate, I want to say. Mm -hmm. it, it's, not, it's not many. You don't see many 22-weekers that's thriving and surviving, so... I feel like with a 22-weeker, I'm like, you know what? My mission is to bring awareness, show Cass progression. You know, I, I started off to just showing his progression. I said, you know what? Let me just honor my 22-weeker and show you, you know, I'll throw back Thursday pictures from when he was born to now. 
Let me show you his progression as far as we're still on oxygen. I mean, doctor visits, you know, the things that a mom can go through with a 22-weeker, having other kids and just everyday life because some moms feel like, oh, I can't, I have a 22-weeker. There's no way possible I can work. There's no way possible I could have another child or see about my oldest child, but you can. So I'm here to just show moms you can do this even if you have a 23 weeker or a 24 weeker or a 25 weeker you know it doesn't matter each kid is different all kids have different things that they're going to experience so i'm just here to just bring awareness inspire moms because a lot of moms you know they need that push as a mom in general even if you don't have a premium you go through a lot being a mom so being a mom is a job that we can't take away because once you're a mom, you're a mom. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. Yeah, no, so you're a mom. Just, yeah, just here to bring awareness, inspire other preemie moms, showcase progression, help moms make decisions because I've been in a place to where I've had to make a decision and I didn't have no one to talk to, you know, another preemie mom to even talk to. It's like, oh my God, let me see if I can get her point of view or what do she think I should do. So I feel like if another mom have a 22 weeker and they want to come to me and I can give them the best, you know, advice possible on them making a decision about their baby. So that's my mission. And my goal is just to provide for NICU families, support any NICU moms, inspire any NICU moms, bring NICU moms together uh, even if we're just on Instagram, I know a lot of moms I've met through social media to where even if we're just saying hello to each other, giving each other virtual hugs, anything right now, I feel like, especially during the time that we're going through as far as COVID, uh, the many things our world is facing today, I just feel like bringing moms together to just this movement is, is, is just, it's beautiful. So I just want to definitely honor all preemie moms and just bring awareness to this preemie nation because it's very huge i have met over 200 moms with preemie kids since cats have been born whether it's a 22 weeker on up to a 30 weeker baby it's just like okay i have met so many inspiring moms so many just beautiful families beautiful stories yeah, I all think, over. I all think over. there are, is a really good social presence on yes. particularly Instagram. I know you can find it on Facebook. I can't say that yes. I've gone after it as much because I'm not looking for, you know, yeah, creamy, it's so hard creamy groups. But mm-hmm. I, I know on Instagram, it's there's quite it's a, a, so many. Yes, yeah. I have found so many on Instagram versus Facebook. But I have found, like, certain organizations on Facebook is just kind of trying to, you know, have the time to just connect with each other. Because we have a huge platform. That's what a lot of people don't understand. This preemie platform is a blessing. I've met, like I said, moms all over. Even respiratory therapists. uh, You. (laughs) I have met people all over that just help me educate. You know, just because I don't know everything still. Right. So just moms just helping me out and just being able to call another mom. And if I have another friend that's just had a preemie and she's just out of it, we can help her. We can help family pull together. Even if we need to do care packages, we just, it's this preemie 
organization is just it has been a blessing for me and I'm just getting started like I said I'm learning everything but once I get up and going I don't plan on stopping this is something that's dear to my heart because it's honoring my 22 weeker so I just feel like if we can make it everybody else can make it right well and I think that when you're going through the NICU journey, part of the reason that I want to share these stories is you learn, you get, you get a little bit of information about NICU stuff, right? I could throw in a little yes. bit of education, but mm-hmm. more so you get some perspective on what it's like on the opposite end after yes. you've gone home. Because the reality is, and I think this is key to why I started Mighty Littles, the reality is just because your motherhood journey starts in the NICU doesn't mean it ends when you go home. You are still a mom. I tell people that's just the beginning. When you go home to me, that's when it starts. Right. I mean, it's just like, wow. The long term is what I mean by when you get home. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Well, as as a preemie mom, you're navigating the uncertainties of a preemie. For some preemies, you're navigating developmental delay and ongoing therapies mm-hmm. and CP. And for yeah. other babies, you're navigating more behavioral things. Um, mm-hmm. And how do you create good humans that the world needs? That's right. Starting in the NICU and then continuing throughout their childhood, which I argue goes, I mean, I still call my mom for advice and I'm 40 something. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Trust me, I understand. I do the same. And sometimes, like, cats have mild CP, which is cerebral palsy. He was born with chronic lung disease, um, vision problems. He had ROP, developmental delays. So with me reaching out to other moms that have preemies with mild CP, you know, I'm able to educate myself a little more. They can give me advice on what to do to help cats a little more. So just having that platform to where you can reach out to someone I feel is great. Because once again, when I first started, honestly, I don't even think no one in my family ever had a preemie. If so, I don't think not as early as Kaz. So I didn't really have, like I said, nobody I could call every five minutes and, you know, oh, girl, can you come over? And so I didn't really have that. I had support, but they never, you until you can experience this journey, you know, it, it, it's really nothing no one can actually do besides help you. So, like I said, just having this platform and having other moms that can relate to the same thing, whether their kid is a 24-weeker, 25-weeker, their kid somewhat went through the same thing your kids went through. So, it, it's just amazing just, cause just having that platform. You can reach out and just asking somebody, what does this mean? Because I remember when Cass first, um, when we first started off in the NICU, he had to get a PDA. And I was looking like, a PDA? What in the world? And they were like, well, it's just a connection between the blood vessels near the heart. And so me learning all of that, I'm just like, okay. (laughs) Can I call somebody to get like a summary of what that means? So just having somebody to reach out and just explain it to you just help you feel a little bit more safe and comfortable right. with what you're going through for us a pda all preemies have a pda it's a patent ductus arteriosus it's a blood vessel that's open in utero because you're 
blood doesn't need to go to your lungs in utero and it's supposed to close after you're born. And a lot of preemies, it doesn't close. And for a small percentage of preemies, particularly the earlier, smaller ones, we need to help it close, either with medication or with surgery. And it seems like for us, well, we deal with a PDA all the time, right? Like we talk about it every day on rounds. Some babies got a PDA that we're following, you know, like more yeah. than like half the unit, uh, right? Half, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for a parent, the first time you hear, oh, there's this thing that's outside your baby's heart, your mind goes to, there's something wrong with my baby's heart. Something is wrong. Oh I my gosh. thought something was wrong. I'm like a PDA. I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound right. So, yeah. oh my God, no. Yeah. yeah, you automatically think because, I mean, you can't help how you, if you're new to this, of course, you're just like, okay, I, I, I just, everything sounds so foreign to you. So you have to get somebody to kind of break it down to you. You have to read about, I had to do a lot of reading. My nurses gave me a lot of handouts. They were able to explain a lot of things to me in between, you know, visits. So it's definitely, definitely a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. All right. We are going to wrap up this interview by doing my speed round. Yes. uh, Where I am going to ask about 10 questions and you are going to give kind of one word to two sentence answers. What were your first thoughts the first time you saw Kaz? I was scared. I was really emotional because I thought I did something wrong to go in labor so early. But honestly, I didn't do anything wrong. So when I first saw him, I was scared. I was very emotional. And I'm just like, okay, this is my angel baby. Let me just thank God. Let's just take it one day at a time. And let's just go with the flow. Excellent. Uh, Absolute favorite NICU moment. NICU moment. Wow. Okay. So started off at Piedmont Fayetteville. When I would go in, they would have this like bulletin board right near Cass bed. And every time I would go in, they would have a cute drawing, maybe a baby giraffe or a welcome cast or a nice quote. And it was just bringing so much joy to me. I'm just like, oh, every time I come in, you guys decorate so nice. They would have the nice NICU pictures on the bed. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that really, really, really showed me that they care for my baby as much as I did. I really enjoyed the nice words, the drawings. They would have beads in a Ziploc bag. And every time he would progress, they would put beads in a bag. That really, 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 really brightened my day every day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing that you did for yourself while you're while you guys were going through the NICU? Honestly, I didn't get to do much because <laughs> I was so worried about it. It may sound crazy, but when you know when you're a mom and you're so worried about your kids and you have other kids, you're just like, you know what? If they're happy, I'm happy. I will get to myself later. You know, of course, I kept my self-care up as far as, you know, trying to just keep myself going, you know, little pampering, hair, nails here and there. But I'm just like, you know, it's all about my kids. I've always been a mom to just been the go-to for my kids like okay my kids have everything they're happy I don't care about nothing else they're good yeah so that's just me (laughs) what is the craziest parenting advice you've ever gotten honestly I really didn't get much advice because I never really knew anyone to go through this actual experience I started meeting everyone after the NICU or in between the NICU experience because I really wasn't on social media a lot doing cast experience because I was just so worried about him. I would post his progression, you know, just mm-hmm. a picture of him and say, you know, we're down a level in oxygen, you know, just something 
that we were going through and then I would post and I would get right back off because I didn't want to read oh my god because I did have one negative comment at one time on one of Kat's pictures to where someone was just like oh my god I can't believe you're letting your baby suffer you know I guess going through what he was going through and when I immediately seen that I deleted that and I just I start cutting my comments off and I just was like you know what I'm not reading no comments I'm just gonna post my baby's progression I don't want to hear any advice I have to experience this on my own and I just went from there So let's say your best friend or your sister had a 25-weeker in the NICU. What would you bring her if you were to put together a care package? Care package, I would bring her self-care items as far as taking care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of baby. So I would say some nice lotion. You know, we love lip gloss, a nice book to read because like I said I read a lot even if it was just my bible I would bring a bible you know just some encouraging words some things to just keep you going and keep your mind focused on the good things because if you continue to just focus on what's going bad your experience won't be as good as it need to be and you won't be up to par with you know your baby and just taking care of things that you need to take care of. So it would be mainly self-care items for a mom. Yeah. What was, what is your favorite snack? My favorite snack. I love fruit snacks. Oh my God. (laughs) Fruit snacks. My favorite. I buy fruit snacks for my kids all the time. And it's just like, mom, the whole box is gone. And I'm like, oops. Sorry. (laughs) I love any type of gummies or fruit snacks. That those are my weakness. Okay. (laughs) The best book you've read in the last year? Best book. Honestly, I've read a, um, it's on, actually, this page is on Instagram. It's Go Preemies. It's an inspirational book of famous preemie people. And I've read that book. It's like an illustration book, pretty much. It just shows illustrations of famous preemie people when they were born, the things that they went through. That was a really, 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 really good book that I have read as far as not knowing so many people you know was funny yeah okay your favorite instagram premium accounts that you're following right now oh my god i have so many (laughs) well mighty little of course right (laughs) i love trust your strengths Trust your strength on Instagram. She's also a preemie mom, Miss Elena. She lives in Atlanta also. She has two preemie boys. And she started her Trust Your Strength organization honoring her two preemie boys. And she is awesome. She has been really, really supportive. Awesome. I could call her pretty much for anything. She's very supportive. So Trust Your Strength is one. Our little preemie page i love our little preemie page our little preemie she has a preemie daughter also and they bring so much awareness to the preemie organization the preemie world i mean it's just awesome they bring a lot of preemie parents together too because i've met a lot of my preemie parents off of our little preemie page so they are very 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 awesome and let's see. Oh, I have so many. I feel so bad. I wish I could name you all. <laughs> and Keisha Rain. Rain. Her name is Rain. She is a preemie also on Instagram. Her I am mom interviewing her tomorrow. Baby. I love her. They are so amazing. I have met some wonderful preemie moms. Oh, my God. 
They are amazing. They are. Rain is so cute. She was, uh, I was just like going on her Instagram page earlier where she was tasting uh, ice cream for the first time and it was very cold and Rain was sort of like, what is this? <laughs> it's so cute. Those are my three favorites. Okay. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote or saying or Bible verse that you on either really, really good days or really, really hard days, it's kind of like your mantra that you go to? You know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my favorite. That works. Favorite Bible verse because it's just like I need God every single hour, minute, day. I can't do it without him. I have been through so much. And at the end of the day, I can just do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, Marquita, it's just been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing about Kaz and his journey and the nonprofit that you've started. I really look forward to collaborating with you and uh, working with you in the future. You keep saying it, Walt. No. Podcast.